Today's reading is John chapter 17. And the first line says, After Jesus said this. So I'm just going to read the last couple of lines from 16. <coughs> Pardon me, so we know what it's referring to. So the last couple of lines says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me as the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, for I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have, you have given me to be with me where I am and to see the glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself 
my name. Thank you, Linda. And thanks for including the last part of uh, chapter 16, as that gives a context that I'll refer to as we go through. For those who don't know me, my name's Roger. I'm one of the elders here. And it's a great privilege to come this morning and, and to bring you this word from God. Uh, John 17 is one of my favourite passages, and that's why I begged with Matt to be able to do it. And he exceeded. Thanks. Before we start, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, as you open your word this morning and continue considering the events of this last day of your earthly life, please help us to see you clearly, to understand fully who you are, to accept your words and respond to them by doing your will in our lives. Amen. When I was working in the Department of Education, uh, the management team uh, would often be faced with a problem that needed to be addressed. We'd do this by sitting down together, analysing the problem, identifying the key issues and making a plan to overcome that problem. We'd allocate who was going to do the what and, and what time frame and when they would do it. And then we put the plan to action. After we'd gone through it, we'd review the success of the plan. And when it was concluded, we'd look back over it and rejoice that we'd had dealt with the problem, or otherwise if we hadn't. It's a fairly standard problem-solving process, and it works really well, and, and I'm positive there are many of you in here uh, who've had similar processes in your work or a social group you belong to. I even know families that use this process to deal with problems that arise in the family. You see, there's a problem in this world. It's a problem that arose way back just after man was created. Man decided that he was, under the influence of Satan, he decided he didn't want to obey the Creator. And so he chose to go against what God wanted. He rebelled. You see, he wanted to be the equal of God, and he wanted to know good and evil. And as we all know, he got his wish, much to his sorrow. It was no minor problem. It was a major problem because by the rebelling he found himself condemned to death. He could never live in relationship with his creator again. And that relationship was what he was created for. That relationship was what we were created for. But by rebelling we blocked ourselves off from it. Now God noted that plan and he came up with a plan which noted that problem, and he came up with a plan which, when completed, would enable man to live back in relationship with him. It's his salvation plan. And the plan involved the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, carrying out different but unified roles to bring this plan to fruition. And basically that's what we've been studying for the past term in the Gospel of John. We've been seeing the outworking of that plan <coughs> through the life of Jesus. And particularly in these last four chapters that we've been studying this term, we've been seeing how Jesus has been explaining to his disciples aspects of this plan, what it involves and what will happen in the future. Now we know the disciples have been a bit thick about this. Uh, they've not really understood part of it. But as we read last week, and just the passage that uh, uh, Linda read to us for that, they finally understood a key part of it. They understood that Jesus is from God. That he is God. He's not only the Son of God, he is God. He's one with the God. And with that declaration, Jesus 
brought this period of time with his disciples of teaching to a conclusion. And instead of getting up and walking out to the um, Garden of Gethsemane, John tells us that he prays. He reports that Christ actually prayed before that. And this is a great prayer. It's a prayer that gives us real insight into that plan that the God that God had created. It's a plan that tells us how it's it's a it's a prayer that tells us how this plan works. How we are able to get back into relationship with God. And it tells us more about the Son. And it even tells us about us. It's an intimate prayer. It's between Jesus and his Father, but he prays it out loud in the presence of his disciples. I think he did that deliberately. I think he did that so they would understand more fully his concern for them, who he is, and who the Father is, and also what will take place to help them in the next period of their lives. It's intriguing that none of the other Gospel writers include in their books, but John does. And I think he does it because it fits so perfectly with his stated aim for writing this Gospel. What was his aim? Well, it's given to us in uh, chapter 20, verse 31. There he said, these, that's the words, the gospel, these are written that you may believe that Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, this prayer adds to our understanding of Jesus, who he is, and why we can believe in him. Now, as I was researching this and looking at commentators, I discovered there's a significant debate amongst the commentators about how you to encapsulate this prayer, how to, how to refer to it. Some think it's best encapsulated by the phrase the high priestly prayer, and if you've got an NIV, you'll notice that in the section above it, that's what it says, the high priestly prayer. And it, they do this because in it Jesus intercedes on behalf of his disciples and future followers. He brings them before God. And that's definitely a high priestly role. And it is a high priestly prayer. But I think it's more than that. Others describe it as the farewell prayer. That's because in it, Jesus does what we typically do in a farewell. A farewell, we usually give thanks to people and we acknowledge their contribution to our lives. We give them some words of encouragement as we move on and uh, they move on without us. And we see Jesus doing that in this prayer. He thanks and he prays to the Father for what Jesus has achieved. And he also expresses concerns as he leaves the disciples. So it's definitely a farewell prayer. There's also more than that. In your Bible study this week, you'll see the Bible study, if you're in a group, and I hope you're all in a group, and you are staying in the Bible, you'll see it's called the farewell prayer. Uh, if you feel uh, insulted on behalf of the person who wrote that Bible study that I put aside the word for farewell prayer, don't be, I wrote it. Okay, <laughs> so I've changed. I've just come to a greater understanding as of the time. Okay. What we see Jesus doing in this prayer is reviewing what has taken place in the plan. What do I mean by that? Well, in the same way the management team I worked with would meet to review how a plan was going, particularly as the plan neared its completion. So Jesus, as this plan meets its conclusion, 
meets with his father in prayer and reports back to him what has been achieved. And so it's a prayer of praise and a prayer of thanks and a prayer of intercession and a prayer of review. And it gives us an insight to what Jesus understands and is doing in this process of bringing the prayer to fruition. He outlines the various things he's done as he carries out the tasks set for him by the Father. And he identifies a couple of key concerns that he knows the Father will need to provide after the final step of the plan. So with that understanding, let's look closer at this prayer. As I've said, it takes the form primarily of praise and thanksgiving, and we said all the way through it. Jesus' statements are statements of praise and thanksgiving. There are three major focal groups in the prayer. The first section deals with the Father and the Son, that unit. The second section deals with the current disciples, and the third section deals with future disciples. As we go through, we'll see that each of those sections, there's a concern which Jesus raises. We need to understand the importance of the plan underpins this whole prayer. First focal uh, group, the first, first focus, is in verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So we see that the plan is coming to a conclusion. The time has come. Jesus must die. We see the plan involves his death. But Jesus' concern is that his death should bring God glory. All that he's done so far has brought the Father glory. And in order to bring more glory to the Father, his death must also be glorious. It must show God's power and majesty. And so he prays, glorify your Son. Not because it's focusing on him, but because he's focused on the Father. Glorify your Son, so your Son may glorify you. We also see that the goal of this plan is to grant eternal life to people. He explains what eternal life is, and this is really important. Eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. And the word know here doesn't just mean be aware of or um, know about, but rather to know deeply, to be in relationship with him, to believe in him, to have faith in him. So in other words, eternal life means people returning to the state of relationship that existed before we rebelled. And that's what this plan achieves. And Jesus rejoices that he's been given the authority to grant eternal life to people. It is Jesus' role in this plan to grant those who believe eternal life. We see that as the plan comes to an end, Jesus' desire is to return to his Father, to go back to the glory that he had before the world began. 
we get a reminder that Jesus is truly God. We see the Trinity in action. He is eternal, and he was with God, and he is God, just as John 1.1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is actually summarising or seeing in place what John tells us right from the very beginning. So the first section of this prayer shows us not only the goal of the plan, but also that it's the Father who sent Jesus to complete the plan. It's the Father who gives Jesus the authority to grant life. It's the Father who chooses those who Jesus will give his life to. It's the Father who will glorify Jesus. What a wonderful summary of the relationship between Jesus, the Father, and what they are doing for us. Then Jesus turns to his second focus, which is found in verses 6 to 19. We'll read through the first few verses here, 6 to 8. I've revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. So the second focus is those he has loved and cared for and taught and lived with for the last three years. His disciples. There's 11 of them with him. And again, Jesus' words review what's happened with them and give an insight into the plan that God has made. He gives his praise and thanks to the disciples who were always part of the plan. They were chosen by the Father specifically for this purpose. And we see that as a result of Jesus living and teaching with them, and it works, they have accepted four key things, they understood four key things. They've understood that everything Jesus has been given Everything he has has been given by the Father. And they've understood and believed that Jesus was sent by God to be with them. And so Jesus is telling his fathers that the disciples now know and understand and accept that he is the Son of God, that he is their Messiah. And because of that knowledge, these disciples are now different. Their relationship with the Father has changed dramatically. They understand who the Father is and how they relate to him, which is different from what their Jewish contemporaries are thinking. They've come on board with the plan. They've grasped the key point. Jesus is the Messiah. As he goes on to pray, uh, I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. For they're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. You see, because of the difference, their understanding, they're now going to be hated. And they are hated. They will face trouble and danger and trials and tribulation, persecution. And we see all that coming out in the book of Acts. So the concern that Jesus has is, Father, protect them. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when I know that my friends or family are facing danger or trouble or getting a situation which could hurt them, then I, my prayer is that they will avoid that danger or trouble. 
my kids and grandkids uh, when travelling recently, my prayer was, Lord, keep them safe and out of trouble. Don't put them in trouble. But that's not Jesus' prayer. He prays just the opposite. The trouble is going to come from the world, but he says, Father, I don't want you to keep them out of trouble. I don't want you to keep them out of the world. What I do want you to do is to ensure that despite the trouble they'll experience, they stay in relationship with you. Don't let these issues that are going to come upon them, these problems that are going to come upon them, have them drift away or be seduced away or to reject you. Hold on to them. Don't let them be seduced away by the evil one. And so Jesus asked them to stay in the world. And you might say, well, why did he do that? They'd be better off out of the world. But the reason is, as he explains, that remain in the world because they have a role to play in the plan. They're to be set apart from the world to do the Father's will, just as Jesus has done. We see them. No, is that one here? Uh, and we see them. He says, "Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, I've sent them into the world." For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You see, sanctification is setting apart to do God's will. And that's why he wants the disciples to stay. They're an integral part of the plan. Jesus' role has been to teach them and encourage them and protect them so they're capable of fulfilling their part. And he made the comment that he's done that successfully. But now he's leaving them he hands them over to his father's care and protection. He'll keep, the father will keep them safe. And he is the one that will set them apart to do the work, just as he set Jesus apart to do his work. And when I project myself into that upper room as the disciples are hearing, overhearing this prayer, I can think the disciples would have been really gratified and reassured to know that despite the fact that Jesus is leaving them, the Father is with them and that his concern is for their protection. And they may be a little bit challenged by the knowledge that they're being set apart to do his will. But you see, there's a third group in this prayer as well, and they are found in verses 20 to 26. He starts this part by saying, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So the world may believe that you've sent me. So his focus is on those who will come to belief because of what the disciples will do. His focus is on the future believers. His focus is on us. This plan will continue on beyond the disciples. As they carry out their role, more and more people will come back into relationship with God. And the confidence that Jesus shows in this part of the prayer is, is so reassuring for the disciples and also for us. For he doesn't pray for those who may come to belief. He prays for those who will come to belief. And this plan cannot fail. He recognises that they too will live in a world that hates them. We will live in a world that hates us. And they will need support. And that support is going to come through two types of unity. The first unity is the Father and Jesus. 
The unity with the Father and the Jesus provides spiritual protection. Holding them in relationship with the Father gives them that knowledge and understanding and courage to go forward. The prayer for protection that Jesus prayed for the disciples back a bit earlier is encompassed in this statement. It also applies to those future believers. And then he goes on to pray a little bit more. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. The second part of the unity that he seeks is unity with each other, a social unity. And this social unity has a lot to do with the progression of God's salvation plan. For you see, it's in that unity that they'll be able to demonstrate, show the world that not only was Jesus sent by him, but the world is loved by them. This unity will convince the world that Jesus and the Father love us and they love them. And he concludes this section of the prayer with a statement, Father, I want, that you, I want those who you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me for the, before the creation of the world. That's a hugely reassuring prayer. For he's saying to the Father, he wants his future disciples, as well as his present disciples, to be with him in glory face to face. That will be the ultimate expression of the unity between the Father, the Son, and the believers that he's asked for. And again, I can imagine those disciples hearing Jesus' prayer and thinking, whoa, I get to be one with the Father and with Jesus, and to be in in heaven sharing his glory? And so will those who follow him in the future? Wow, how cool is that? And they would have been reassured and encouraged. But Jesus has not finished the prayer yet. He ends with one last statement. It's a promise. He promises them something really fascinating. We don't usually conclude our prayers with a promise, but I find it encouraging in this case Jesus does. Because the promise is that he will continue to make him known to those who believe, so they too will experience the love that the Father has for Jesus. What better way to ensure that his followers both then and now will be kept safe as they travel through a dangerous and troubling world and troubles come and go? What better way for them to do that than to have them know that Jesus will continue to make the Father's love known to them? You say, well, how is he going to do that? He's going back to heaven to be with his father. Well, we know from chapter 16, and the first part of it, that the way Jesus will fulfill that part of the promise is through the Holy Spirit. His role is to continue to make the Father's love known to Jesus' followers then and now. So all members of the Trinity have a role to play. So it's a wonderful prayer gives us a tremendous insight into the Father, the Son, us, what's going on, and the salvation plan. Let's just think a little while about that plan. What have we learned from this prayer about the salvation plan? Well, the first thing we've learned is, as he's prayed and thanked and interceded for the Father, the first thing we've learned is that it was implemented by God. 
out of love for us. And it brings back into relationship with him. You see, we are the focus of God's love. And he wants us to be in relationship with him. We chose not to be, but he took the steps necessary to make it possible. This salvation plan is powered and authorised by the Father. The plan can't fail. Our Father is all-powerful. He's the Creator. He will see it through to final completion. He is able to protect and to provide for us. And the plan has been fulfilled by Jesus through his teaching and his life and his death. That's why we need to get to know more about Jesus. His words have been effective in bringing us understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. His life has set us an example of how we should live and to follow. And his death paid the price for our rebellion. His death enabled us to be forgiven and to come back into relationship with him. And this salvation plan is maintained by the Holy Spirit living within us. He is the one that comforts us. He's our counsellor. He's our encourager. And he's our advocate. He is God and Jesus supporting us as we face the trials and tribulations of everyday life. We can turn to him and depend upon him. So that's what God has done for the plan. But the plan has to be accessed by us. And it's accessed by us through faith in Jesus. He promises that we are granted eternal life by him when we believe that he's the Son of God, when we put our faith in him. And once we've done that, the plan requires a continuation. The plan has progressed in the world by our words, life and unity with each other. We have a role to play in bringing salvation to others. The words we say, the way we live, the love we show for each other, reveal God to those around us, to challenge to them. So we need to ensure that our lives bring him that glory. Great plan. A plan that we're part of and that we rejoice in understanding. Now there are two groups of people listening to this talk this morning. There are those who believe in Jesus and have an art set aside to do his will and who will be the beneficiaries of the plan. They will be back in they are, will be in relationship with God, are in relationship with God and will be back in relationship in, in the future. And there are those who don't believe, those who are still in rebellion against God, those who will not be the beneficiaries of the Father's salvation plan. For those of us who do believe in Jesus, this prayer has a part for us to play in the plan. It shows it to us. We've been set apart to bring God's glory, God's glory by showing his love to the world we live in and by showing our relationship with him in all that we say and do. And when we do that, the prayer gives us wonderful reassurances as we fulfil this task. Despite the troubles that will inevitably come as we live out this belief, God will protect our faith and we and he will protect the relationship we have him, with him. We know that doesn't mean that life will be easy and everything will run smoothly and any troubles we experience will be dealt with easily. No. Life will be painful and difficult in times, so and we'll all experience that. We know that as we go through those times, God loves us. And the Holy Spirit's with us 
to bring us comfort, wisdom and guidance. And we can stand firm in the knowledge that Jesus' death has been effective in cancelling the effect of our rebellion against God. We can rest assured that we will spend eternity with him. For as he prayed, that's what he wants. And we also know that we have unity with both God and our fellow believers and that unity can't be taken away. It's a unity of belief and understanding and experience. Now again, that doesn't mean we'll all be in perfect agreement with all the things that our fellow believers believe and do. It doesn't mean there won't be differences of opinion. Of course there will be. But it does mean that at a deep level we'll be in community with them and that in that community we can find relationships, support and care that encourages us and bolsters us as we go through this life. So the message for those of us who believe is rejoice. God is with us. But for those who don't believe in Jesus, this prayer contains both a challenge and a promise. Throughout this prayer, Jesus refers to the world. The world is in rebellion against God. The world hates the disciples. The world does not loathe the love of the Father. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you are part of the world. You are in rebellion against him. And God's salvation plan doesn't apply to you. The challenge for you is to consider more deeply who Jesus is, to get to know more about his life and his teaching, to understand what he's done for you and his love for you. And then to turn to him in thanks and acknowledge that he's the Son of God and believe in him. The promise is that if you do this, then you too will be granted eternal life you too will come back into relationship with God, the relationship that you were created for. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are, for the fact that you loved us so much that you didn't just leave us to die in our rebellion, that you made and put into action a plan that would enable us to come back into relationship with you. And Jesus, we thank and praise you that you left your Father and came to live with us that you taught the disciples and sent them out so that we might hear your words and respond in belief. And we thank you for dying for us to pay the price of our rebellion so that we can come back into relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, we praise you for being with us, for encouraging, supporting and strengthening us as we live out our relationship with you in a world that hates us. O Lord, enable us to be effective in the work you set for us. Help us to live our lives in the way you want. Help us to present your words truthfully and effectively to those who we come in contact with. Help us to love others in the way you love us. Lord, may our lives bring glory to you. Amen.